The message is entitled Secrets of the Heart. Secrets of the Heart. I'd like to begin with a passage of scripture found in Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. Literally, in the Greek, it says the word of God makes things happen. The word of God makes things happen. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We all have secrets of the heart. And it's the purpose of God to begin to reveal those secrets. Some of those secrets are precious treasures. Others are poison pills. And part of the maturing process is to grow into those secrets that are for our good, that will bless us and to discover by practice which of those secrets are poison pills. What do I mean? Well, when I was a child, I had two older brothers. I was the youngest. And out of my need to defend myself because they were bigger and would beat me up, I learned to become very cunning in how I gained revenge over them. For example, my brother stole a knife, and I wanted that knife. So I stole it from him, and then set it up so that I showed dad my knife that I said I found. Of course, it was found under the mattress of my brother, but I didn't share that part. I just shared that I'd found the knife. And because dad saw the knife first, Don was afraid to beat me up because he knew he would get a whipping from dad if dad discovered he'd stolen it. So I learned to be very clever in the way I defended myself and got what I wanted. Well, as an adult, that's a poison pill. Passive aggressive behavior is a poison pill. It doesn't work. And so as I became an adult, I carried with me that passive-aggressive behavior so that if someone in the church came to me and confronted me with something they didn't like, I would turn it around on them and make it their problem. Well, you know how far that got me in the progress of teaching people to follow Jesus. It was a poison pill. 
And so part of the work of my life has been to discover the secrets of God in my heart that are a blessing to me that I need to enlarge and release by his power and to discover the poison pills that need to be removed from my soul because they're so destructive to me and to those around me. It's called maturing. It's called growing up and becoming a man. Well, the word of God comes and if we allow it, it will begin that process of, divide, of dividing and, and separating the poison pills from those secrets that are precious if we'll just grow into them. And part of what I constantly am attempting to do here at the National Prayer Chapel is to help people identify and grow into the secrets God has planted in our hearts that teach us how to love our family. And how, pardon me, ladies, but how to be men. I love the ladies, but when this church started, I said, Lord, please send more men than women. Because, frankly, it's we who are men in our culture who need to learn how to be men, how to stand though the heavens fall, and how to drop off those poison, destructive things that we've been raised with. And the wives will follow us. And then it's our job to help nurture our wives and not criticize them and not cast them down and not be passive aggressive with them, but learn how to stand, though the heavens fall, in a way that's positive. And then our children learn from us and from daddy and from mama. To me, that's the very heart of what the gospel is about. Growing up in Jesus and learning how to stand and be men and women of God. Now, there's another passage of scripture I want to share with you before we go to the story that is so powerful for me. And that is Galatians, the first chapter. Galatians, the first chapter. I'll begin reading for you in verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now let's just define words because the salvation vocabulary in our day has been utterly corrupted. We need to go back to the original meanings of the words. When I was in seminary, it was standard belief that grace meant unmerited favor. That's such a cheap and shallow shot at the reality of this word in the Greek. The word grace literally means the divine influence of God to uncover that which is destructive in our lives and help us move into the presence of Jesus. So grace is divine influence. Titus tells us that it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and wickedness. Grace is the gift of God, undeserved, unmerited, that comes and heals the wounds of our heart and restores us to the presence of God where there is joy and peace and love and happiness. Uh, so he says grace and peace 
And of course, peace, shalom, is provision. God never comes to his children without also bringing provision. Emotional provision, physical provision. It's who God is. What would you think of me as a father if now my grandchildren would come to me and they would ask me, Grandpa, could you help me with this? And I said, no, earn it yourself. He'd say, what kind of grandpa are you? No, when my grandchildren, and I have eight of them, when they come to me, I'm going to spoil them. I'm going to give them whatever I can give them to help them grow and mature and become responsible adults. It's in the heart of God to come with grace and with peace. He does not come to us empty-handed. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. In other words, he gave himself as atonement to rescue us from the present evil age. And the word evil here in the Greek means toil, pain, labors, hardship, danger, things that cause you to grieve. We live in a very evil age, an age of birth wickedness, where that which is holy is cast down as unrighteous, and that which is unholy is lifted up as righteousness. Everything is upside down. The values that I held as a child are no longer taught. And this is where, as a church, we're called to be salty, to teach again the ancient paths of well-being and health as found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he came to rescue us from this present evil age. That word rescue means literally in the Greek to pluck out, to draw out, to root out. Now, I don't know what your experience is, but usually when I have to root something out of the ground, there's some destruction that also goes on. And sometimes it looks like as God begins to root out an evil habit, it looks like everything's getting torn up in our lives. But it's also for the healing. This last week I've been in my patio planting all of these flowers. And to do so, I have to tear up the soil. I can't take the plant and sit it on the top of the soil and expect that plant to grow. I've got to dig a hole for it. I've got to put that plant in that soil and then I have to water it. And frankly, I love these watermelon colored petunias. And when I finished planting this petunia, it looked kind of sick. And I watered it. I talked to it. I went out this morning to see how my patient was. 
was bright. Flowers were popping out. Sometimes when God tries to plant us, tries to move us out of what we've become accustomed to, we can grumble and groan and get very upset because of our circumstances. That's part of what happens as God tries to plant us in new and rich and good soil. It's part of what my sister was sharing, not fighting what God is trying to accomplish and having the wisdom to perceive that God has a plan and it's in operation. And instead of becoming angry and defensive to say, Lord, this is very uncomfortable, but please have your way and do what you need to do because I want to be planted in good soil so that the secrets of my life can burst forth into something of value to you and your kingdom. Now against that backdrop, I want to go to a story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. He was a commander of the army of Syria. He was a very powerful commander. But he had a secret. He didn't want anybody to know. I don't know when he discovered it. Perhaps when he was bathing, he discovered a patch on his skin that he began to identify as leprosy. Maybe he only wore long sleeve shirts from then on because he didn't want that leprosy exposed because he knew once it was exposed, his men would be fearful of him because it was very contagious. But as the leprosy spread over his body, it came to a place where he could no longer hide it. Those secrets that we have in our heart will be finally exposed in the outward expression of our life. Those secrets will come forth whether we want them to or not. We will be unable to hide them. Some of my secrets came out when I saw how my daughters were acting. And I began to recognize that they were operating like I operated as a child. And I was deeply hurt. How can I punish my daughter for being a passive aggressive little gal and lying when she's just operating like her dad had operated? And you begin to see yourself reflected in your children. I don't think it's accidental that Enoch did not go to heaven until after he had his children. Because in our children, we see ourselves in that mirror and we have to face the reality of who we are. The secrets of our heart will be exposed and, and they're exposed in our children. They're exposed in our marriages. Often marriages break because we refuse to deal with the secrets of our own heart. And we refuse to take responsibility for what we are creating. Well, Naaman could not hide his leprosy anymore. And those closest to him began to see the leprosy. He had to let the king know of his leprosy. He is highly respected. He is 
He is a mighty man of war. I don't care how mighty you are. There are secrets in your soul that will be exposed, and you have to deal with them. Now, we live in a day when we're very self-centered and very self-possessed and very confident in our abilities. But God was moving in this man to bring him into salvation before he even found the leprosy. He sent out bands of 100 to 200 men to do raids among the children of Israel. And on one of those raids, a little maiden was captured. And this little gal he brought into his house and he made her a servant to his wife. And the scriptures say, now bands in verse 2 from Syria had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. Now that word served in the Hebrew means to exist, to look at the face of the one you serve. To have eyes only for the one you serve. So this little girl was no longer allowed to have eyes for the sorrow of her being captured and ripped out of her family. But she'd been taught godly principles like Moses. So when Moses went into Pharaoh's court, Moses' heart was still holding the secret of his past and of his destiny. And this little girl had in her heart the secret of the living God of heaven. And what brought that secret out of her heart was the compassion she had for the one she served. And this little girl said such an inconsequential thing, the prattering of a little girl, but the Lord God enlarged it until it was like a thunder from heaven. If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. There was no hope. This commander was going to lose his power and his position, and he was going to be ostracized and cast out of his family, and he was going to die a horrible death. And this little girl... The prattings of a small, godly little girl. Oh, I wish, I wish my master would go to the prophet and he would be healed. And that word fastened in Naaman's heart. And he said, this is the only hope I have. So he went to the king. And as a demonstration of the great appreciation the king had for this man, he sent him to the king of Israel. But he didn't send him empty-handed. He sent along 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold. Whoa, can you imagine the value of this? This is a king's ransom. 
10 sets of clothing, probably $50,000 worth of new suits. This was a king's ransom. He sent him to the king. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and he said, Am I God? No, you're not God. Can I kill and bring to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? You know, I'm not going to have time today to go through, but if you take some time and review each man in this story, this is a story of men. This king is a wimp. He's never grown up. He's never taken the authority of God's king ruling in the name of God. He's never done that. It's all about this king. Oh, now I'm going to have trouble. Now war is going to come. Poor me. What am I going to do? If that's still who you are, grow up. Begin to do the serious work in your heart. We won't go down that road. We will at a later time. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel... By the way, do you hear that? When Elisha, the man of God... Boy, do I want... Do I want people to say... When Ray, the man of God... Don't you want that said after your name? I want to be known as a man of God. I don't want to be known as a man of ambition. I don't want to be known as a man of anger or a man of bitterness or a man of passive aggressive behavior. I don't want to be known as a man who is selfish. I want to be known as a man of God. When he heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Oh, powerful, confident, but humble. God has never called men to be weaklings. Please, may I say this without offending you ladies? God has never called the church to be feminized. He wants a robust gospel that is bold and stands for what is true, that is unapologetic about our confidence in the living God of heaven. He wants us to be clear about who we are and what we believe and he doesn't want us to wimp out. He doesn't want us to play the victim. There was a therapist that I had great respect for. He wrote a book. The book was entitled, If You Meet the Buddha on the Road, Kill Him. You know, what his whole process was about 
was becoming responsible for my own life and not having to have another person constantly telling me what to do, but to become responsible for my own actions and my own behaviors without granting excuses for how I operate. Elisha was that kind of man. He was responsible to the living God of heaven. He did not side with the king and say, oh, how tragic is this? We'll pray to God, we'll fast, but we don't know what's going to happen. We're going to be destroyed by the king of Syria. Oh, what are we going to do? That's not how God calls us to operate. He calls us to stand in confidence on what is revealed in the word of God and what he has planted in our hearts and how he has grown us to be men. And may I add, women... And so Naaman came. And Naaman came with his wretched disease. He came in all of the pride and power of his command. He had a whole entourage. He had soldiers with him. He came with flags waving. It was the sight that I'm sure caused excitement everywhere, the same as if great black limos pulled along with police escorts and everybody saying, who is it? Who is it? Trying to get a glimpse. He arrived in front of this house and the whole entourage came to a halt. You could hear the orders being called out for the soldiers. Suddenly, there was no drum sound. Everything is absolutely silent. He stands in all of his power. And he expects the man of God to come out of the house and to serve him. Because the man of God is supposed to be his servant, because he is the commander. He is a man who is accustomed to his exercise of power. Now it says, so Naaman, verse 9, with his horses and his chariots, stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away in a rage. That word rage in the, in the Hebrew means 
Well, let me tell you what the root word is. The root word is the curdling of milk. Then out of that comes the word poison. Out of that comes wrath. This man was not just mad. He was angry enough to kill. And he was angry because the man of God did not come out and serve him with a great show to demonstrate how important he was, as in his importance he received his healing so that he would not have to humble his heart. He would be able to maintain his image of authority and he would have what he wanted. And he brought along the money to make sure the prophet would do what he wanted. He brought a king's ransom to make sure that his dignity was saved. And I don't know if you've discovered this yet. I have. God is not interested in saving my imagined dignity. He is God alone all by himself. And he will not share his glory with anyone. He said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hands over the spot, cure me of my leprosy. Come on, prophet, put on a show for me. God is not interested in putting on a show for you or with you. You know, there have been times in my life where I've had such desperate need and I have just cried out before the Lord day after day, sometimes years. And the answer that God grants is almost always anticlimactic. The answer does not come in some great crescendo of God's glory. Just a very quiet answer. Suddenly, in one sweep of his hand, everything changes. And there's no... There's no place in that change for me to say, wow, see what I did. Just God moved. God suddenly stepped into my life and, and circumstances shifted and attitudes shifted and resources shifted and suddenly the money was transferred from God's bank to my bank and, and it was like nothing happened. And I felt like it was anticlimactic. I didn't dance and shout. I didn't go tell everybody. I've been praying for this and look what God did for me. No, I'm not special. He's special. Now, thank God for this humble servant of Naaman who go to him and say, my father, in verse 13, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored. If I'd been Naaman, I would have held my nose. 
ducked under the water, stood up and looked to see if the leprosy was gone. And said, see, nothing's going to happen. And somewhere he gains the courage to go down a second time. Stands up again and nothing's happened. Probably in the fourth or fifth or sixth time, he's saying, this is stupid. And please, if you are serious about following Jesus, you will be brought into a place in your life where you think the word of God that has been spoken into your spirit was just stupid foolishness. When God breathes into our hearts his secrets, when he breathes into our hearts the hope and the And the promise, like he breathed into Joseph, the promise that he would one day, his mother and father, his brothers would come and bow before him. That he would be great. Year after year, nothing happened. But God doesn't forget the secrets he plants in our hearts. He doesn't forget... We may scorn and say, this was just a foolish, childish dream. Nothing's going to happen here. But God always fulfills his word to us. And on that seventh time, when he went down and he came up out of that water and he looked. And he was clean like a little baby's skin. His heart must have leapt with joy. But he was also broken in his heart because now he knew he was not the man of power. That the God of heaven was the man of power. And he humbled his heart before Almighty God. And he comes back to the prophet. But this time he does not come to the prophet with his entourage in the glory of his power. He comes humbly. And now he stands before the prophet as a humble servant. And he says, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. Remember the meaning of servant? One who has eyes only for that person's face. One who no longer is looking at their own glory or their own power. They are looking at that one face. And this man, humble in his heart, calls this prophet his master. And he offers him everything he has. Now, of course, if he had accepted the gift, a king's ransom, later this man's heart would have grown proud and would have said, I paid him well enough. But the prophet said, I will not accept a thing. Naaman urged him, but he refused. Now we see the 
the flip. Now we see why God told him, don't accept a thing. Because now this man's heart, desiring to be a servant to the prophet and to the God of this prophet, says, please let your servant be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. The Lord planted a little girl in this pagan man's house so that later the humble word of this little girl could be fulfilled in this powerful man's life. And this powerful man would repent of his sin and serve the living God of heaven. God has planted things in your life, secrets planted in your heart that God intends to use to bring you fully into the maturity of a Christian man and a Christian woman for the service of the king, for the flowing of love from our hearts for one another. You know, I am so happy today that the Lord God of heaven in his power does not want to hurt or destroy me, but wants to lift me up and build my heart and fill it with his courage and his confidence that I can walk out of here today as a man of God with absolute confidence in his love, knowing that he will bring to pass all that he desires in my life, that he will not desert me, he will not cast me down, he will not give me to leprosy. I don't know how I could live if I did not have absolute confidence in the immeasurable love of God as expressed on the cross of Calvary. He led men captive and gave gifts to men at his resurrection. And the Holy Spirit now distributes his gifts according to the will of Christ. If you're not expecting gifts from God, you're missing it. We serve a God who is a redeemer God. We don't serve a God who is a condemning God. We serve a redeemer God to redeem our lives from the poison secrets of our heart. To bring forth his glorious wonder in our lives. Part of what I'm constantly doing in my own inner life with Jesus is asking him, even at my age, to constantly prepare me for eternity, that I would not be caught in any bitterness or anger, that I would not be caught in any ambition and self, that my heart would be gentle and open to others and not condemning, not judging but strong in Jesus Christ. Confident 
that he will bring to pass all that he's desired in my heart. I wish it didn't take us so long to grow up. It feels like we just begin to grow up and then our lives seem to be over. We seem to have such a short amount of time after we've matured and become men and women of God to minister to the Lord. So much of my ministry has been out of my own fear, out of the own, my own hurt of the heart. I don't want to minister out of the hurt of my heart. I don't want to speak out of the wounding of my spirit. I want to speak out of the wholeness of Christ, out of the glory of Jesus, without being ambitious to be somebody or to control somebody. But to live in the joy and peace of Jesus, having the deepest secrets of my heart revealed, Lord Jesus, you are the Holy One of Israel. Today I just lift my heart to you and ask that the deep secrets that you've planted in my soul by your Spirit could fully blossom and be brought forth for the work of the kingdom for the children, for the adults, for my brothers and sisters. Lord, your word says that you, Father, are the one who gives all good gifts coming down from heaven, the Father of lights. Lord, today, would you bless us with your presence, Father, bringing healing both physically, emotionally, bringing healing to our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen.